0: Hello friends. Last week, I asked the question, what is real? And we spent a little time delving into the scriptures and the book of nature to determine how we can best know what is real. We didn't fully answer the question, but I left off with another question, another statement that we would pick up this time and explore, and it's that verse that we find in John chapter three and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We explored this concept of God, how he loves the world, how he declares in his word that the very essence of his nature is love. We talked about his Son, Jesus Christ, and how Jesus wants to have that very real and intimate relationship with each one of us. But what does it mean when it says, the only begotten? Come with me on a little journey. I want to go back to the Old Testament, to an old, old story. And as we explore this old story, I believe we will get to the heart of what it means to have this relationship with the only begotten of the Father. What that relationship means between Jesus and his Father, and what that means for us today but before we go too far on our journey i would like to invite you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer loving father in heaven lord we come once again to explore your word and to spend a little time out in nature i pray that you will bless each one of my listening friends whether they be members in our local church or listening in from around the world And Lord, as we explore from your word, I pray that you will guide our minds and our hearts to a deeper knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now, my friends, to come along with me on our journey. He was an old, old man by now, but he had lived a good life, albeit it had been a hard life. Called from his homeland at an early age, he had spent his life a wanderer. But not wandering aimlessly, he had spent his life following God and following a promise. His name was Abraham. Since the early days, since the first that we hear about his story in the Bible, God called him to step out in faith, to leave his native land of Ur of the Chaldees. And to go to a land that God had promised him. And there in this land, God had said, I will raise up to you of your seed a great nation. And in your seed, all kingdoms, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham had left everything. And he had spent his life following the promise. But his life had not been an easy one. It was not without a few twists and turns that Abraham followed the promise of God? His faith had to grow, and yes, it faltered at times. It was not perfect, but through it all, God was teaching Abraham and all of us a lesson. As Abraham grew old in years, his wife getting up there in years as well, he realized there was a little problem. He didn't have a son, and how could God fulfill his promise? if Abraham didn't even have an heir. A servant in his house was going to be his heir. So Abraham stepped out, not in faith, but in presumption. He tried to help God fulfill his promise. You am sure you know the story. He took to be his second wife, his wife's servant, Hagar, and through this illicit union, produced a son, Ishmael, whom he thought God would use to fulfill his promise. But no, God never uses our own human efforts. He never needs our efforts to help him fulfill a promise. If he makes a promise, friends, he's going to keep it. And God was not waiting for Abraham to break his commands to step out and try to fulfill his promise. No, but God, through this whole story, He even used Hagar and Ishmael. He made a special promise to them, but God still had a purpose. He still had a promise. And when Abraham was 99 years old, and Sarah was was 90 years old, God came to Abraham and said, you are going to have a son. Not Ishmael, but Sarah, your wife, your legitimate wife, is going to have a son. And they laughed. Sarah laughed. How can I have a son when I am old? But you know what? They did. And Sarah had a son. And she named him Isaac. Laughter, because she laughed at the promises of God. But oh, what joy this son brought to their home. And as Isaac grew, of course, there was, there was always this dissension. And it was only made worse by this strife that, that Abraham had brought about himself by taking a second wife. And we won't go into that story today. But it brought so much happiness and so much joy to this father's heart to know that he had a son, that God was fulfilling his promise. Until that day, that is. Until that fateful day when God came to him in a dream in the middle of the night said, Abraham, I have something I want you to do. And his face fell. He wished that he could unlive that night a thousand times. He wished that he had slept through the night. He wished that he had died, rather than to hear the command that God had given him. There was no mistaking it, but Abraham wished a thousand times that it wasn't true. Abraham had heard this voice before, and now it was speaking to him again. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn along with me to Genesis chapter 22. And I'll read a few verses of this story. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Offer your son. Sacrifice your son. Not your son Ishmael, not your servant, not a not a a, a cow, not a not a lamb, not a goat. But your son. You, the one whom your whole life is bound up in. Abraham would have rather gone out and died himself than to see anything happen to his son much less with his own hand, to take this boy's life, this young man's life. Oh, how his heart broke. Could it be? Could he be wrong? Could he be mistaken? But no, no, this was God's voice. He knew it was God's voice. And so it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I want you to picture in your mind with me this old, aged man. He's now getting on towards 120 years old. Most people these days don't even live that long. But he's still strong, not as strong as he once was. He gets up. He knows what he has to do. And in the darkness, he goes to where his son is sleeping. And he sees him, this strong, strapping young man. Looks just like him. The one whom his whole life is bound up in. God has said, you have to offer him. He looks over the other direction and he sees his wife. He sees Sarah sleeping there peacefully. Oh! Shall I wake her up? Shall I let her hug her son for the last time? No, no, I'm going to have to leave while she's sleeping. He knows that in the instant that he slays his son, that knife will pierce through the heart of the mother as well. Everyone whom his heart holds dear is bound up in this command that God has given him. But he doesn't flinch. His heart is heavy, but he obeys. He gathers up the wood, he takes the servants, takes the donkeys, and he sets out. He doesn't know exactly where he's going, but God has said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to point out the mountain to you where you need to go and offer your son. And so they begin their journey. And so, on and on and on they go, up and up, down and down, following, searching for the place that God would show them. And then, finally, they see it. On the third day, a cloud, a sign that God gave them the sign that Abraham was looking for. This is the place. So Abraham leaves the servants behind with the donkeys, takes the wood for the sacrifice and lays it on the back of Isaac. And together, the two of them walk on in silence. Abraham doesn't have anything to, th- to speak about, not to his son at least. His heart is deep, deep in thought. How will he break the news to his son? How can he speak of anything as he is agonizing over this terrible sacrifice that he is about to make? Finally, the silence is broken. My father? Yes, my son, he replies. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham responds, in those memorable and prophetic words, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. It was enough for Isaac. They trudged on further in silence. Finally, they reach a clearing in the mountaintop. And there, with a heavy heart, Abraham explains to Isaac the purpose of their mission. He shares it all. The midnight vision. The assurance that he has that he knows that this is God's command. Isaac is a believer as well. And although he could easily outrun his father, especially now that his father is aged, And has been weighed down with this burden. The life almost crushed from him already. As it could easily outrun his father. But no, he submits. And even encourages his father to bind his hands. And tie him there to the altar. He lays down. They embrace for the last time. Abraham raises the knife ready to slay his son. When at the last instant, as his muscles flex to plunge the knife through his son, an angel cries out, Stop! It's enough! And stays his hand. In that instant, Abraham looks up, and he sees, out in the wilderness, he sees a ram caught in a thicket. He goes quickly, takes the ram, and offers it as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God in place of his son. There, God comes down to Abraham and communes with Abraham once again. These beautiful words found in the same chapter, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 And verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And God would go on right there to renew the promise that he had made to Abraham so long ago, that he would make of his seed, of his posterity, a great nation and that through his seed, all nations of the world would be blessed. Of course, we know the story of the Bible. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of those descendants of Isaac. That boy, that young man who was tied on the altar that day, and who was giving up his life, and yet from his posterity came the great nation of Israel. But also from his posterity came one, who would bring blessing, not just to Israel, not just to Abraham, but to the entire world. In this simple story, my friends, we see in miniature a picture of the entire gospel, the entire plan of salvation. But most specifically, and probably more beautifully, more fully than anywhere else in the Bible, we see a picture of the loving relationship that exists between our Heavenly Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, we're studying into this verse of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What does it mean that He gave His only begotten Son? What does it mean that Jesus is the Son? What what do those words, only begotten, mean? Well, you know, we find a very similar term In the Hebrew language, of course, in the Old Testament, describing the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. Now it says there in uh, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now that term there that refers to this only son is the term Yaqid. It means It can mean solitary, only, one of a kind, unique. It can also mean beloved, your most beloved son. Now, we actually know from the story, as I just shared, that Isaac was not Abraham's only son. In fact, Isaac was not Abraham's oldest son either. That went to Ishmael. Ishmael was several years older than Isaac. But here it says that Isaac was his only son, or his beloved son, or his unique or special son. The New Testament, which was written in the Greek language, refers to this incident of Abraham offering up his only or special or only begotten son in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. Take a look at that with me here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now it says here that Isaac was, as it were, the only begotten or the special unique son of Abraham. Now, like I said, we know that, that Isaac was not the only son that Abraham had, but it was the only son of promise. And I believe that is key in understanding this. Now, in the New Testament, this word is uh, monogenes, this uh, uniqueness or this only begotten son. And in fact, it's the exact same word that's used to describe Jesus in John three sixteen, The only begotten son. It doesn't necessarily mean the only one that was born. It doesn't necessarily have that sense of being born, although it could have that sense. But in a special way, it refers to the uniqueness, the specialness, the fact that Jesus was this son of promise. You know, I find it interesting that as Isaac was making his way up the, the mountain, that he was carrying on his back the wood for the sacrifice the wood that was to consume his body as, it, as he was being offered for a sacrifice there on the altar. Does it remind you of anything? It makes me think of Jesus struggling up that hill called Calvary with a wooden cross on his bleeding back. That cross that was to crush out his earthly life. He carried it. He carried it for you. He carried it for me, the Son of God, the special one, the only begotten, or, as it says in another way, the only beloved. Do you remember what God said about Jesus when Jesus was baptized as he came up out of the water? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to the words of Isaac as he is walking there in silence up the mountain with his father. My father. My father, where is the lamb? Now listen to the words of Jesus there in Matthew 26 as he cries out to God. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It gives us only a glimpse, but a glimpse that is needful of this deep and close and intimate relationship between Jesus and his Father. Not like we think of in earthly relationships where where a father may be lording it over his, his family. No, but in a close and intimate relationship of mutual care and love and concern. So when we read in this verse in John 3:16 that God so loved that He gave, it wasn't God the Father only that was giving, or that was loving, but the Son in the Father, giving of Himself and loving you and me to the point of death, to the point of being willing to pour Himself out as a sacrifice upon the altar. And no, as Jesus hung there on the cross, it wasn't like in the story of Isaac, where an angel came down to stay the hand of execution. No, he drained the dregs of that cup of suffering. He poured out his life. Jesus died. But was it just a man who died? No. Where did Jesus come from? He was and is God's son as it says in chapter jo- in John chapter 1 and verse 18 but is he a son just like you and I are all sons or is he different? is he unique is he special in some way? Where did he come from? we find the answer in the Gospel of John chapter 1. it's another passage that you are likely very familiar with John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Seriously? Really? These words are almost too wonderful to comprehend. That Jesus not only was with God, but that Jesus was and is God. Co-creator with the Father in creating this world. He was that word that spoke light out of darkness. He was that word that spoke to the children of Israel in thunder and lightning from Mount Sinai. Yes, he is the word that speaks life into your heart and mine today in him was life and the life was the light of man but it wasn't enough for him to be the word for him to be God up there in heaven no but because of his love his love for the father and his love for you and me it says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that picture of Jesus that Paul writes there in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Friends, this is a fundamental truth about Jesus. That not only was Jesus with God, not only was Jesus like God, as it, one of his names implies, Michael, who is like God, but that Jesus very much was and is God. The God of, his he- of heaven, just as much as his Father, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and, be, and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. my friends, These truths are just too wonderful to even comprehend fully. That Jesus, the God of heaven, should come to this earth, humble himself to die. And yet at the same time, my friends, somehow, in a beautiful way, it all makes perfect sense. Because, as we've been talking about all along, God is a God of love. Jesus is love. And God is love. And they demonstrate this love and mutual love towards each other and in pouring out of themselves to you and to me. And the only thing that they ask, the only thing that he asks, is that we love him in return. So my question for you today, my friends, will you love him? Will you allow yourself to be poured out in sacrifice, if need be, in honor of him, the one who poured himself out upon that cruel cross in the greatest sacrifice this world has ever known? Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we cannot but begin to comprehend the nature of your love your love for your son, your love amongst the unfallen creatures of the universe and your love for us who have gone so far away in rebellion against you. It's you who are willing to pour yourself out completely to the point of death to redeem us. Lord, all we can say is thank you And we will accept you and we want to love you in return and our prayer is that you will teach us on earth what it means to love like you love in heaven this is our prayer in jesus name amen